Welcome to the Teacher Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Creasel. I work as Director of Innovation and Instructional Support in Fullerton School District, and every week we sit down and get to know a teacher better. My goal is to learn what drives and guides teachers, especially when venturing into that risky territory of trying something new. Join me. Today we spend time with Christine Spencer. She teaches second grade at Acacia Elementary. Well, Christine, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. For the second time. <laughs> I just forgot to push record on the GoPro, so we just did the opening again. It's okay. <laughs> um, so you um, teach at Acacia. Yes. What grade? Second grade. So second it's my grade? first year in second grade this year. Okay. I've been teaching first grade for the last seven years there. Oh, so wow. That's a lot of first grade. Yeah. We made a big, we made a jump. We had an extra class this year. So I moved up with my kids to second grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So really quickly, before we get into the podcast with all sorts of other good things, um, biggest difference between first and second grade and, and that might be a little different answer because you're kind of looping with your students. Mm -hmm. And then... The other question is, what's it like to loop with your students? So I looped with 10 this year. So okay. I didn't get to take all 31 okay. with me. I took 10 with me. Um, and either way, biggest difference is the amount of independence. So oh, yeah. when they start first grade, they're like kindergartners coming in. They're so little and they need so the many little. extra directions and yeah. help. Second grade, the first day, I think I gave like a four-step direction. Okay. And I looked at my 10 and I said, grab two kids that weren't in our class last year and show them what to do. <laughs> and I looked around and everybody was doing it. So biggest oh like biggest thing was the independence. Like yeah. I can give directions and they go do it. Yeah. Um, iPads, they've had the two years of experience now. So I say, okay, you're going to use this app and do this. And yeah. they just go and do wow. it. So that's been huge. And then in reading, they're just reading more and yeah. digging deeper into their books. And so it's a lot of fun to watch them like really start to understand characters and go on yeah. journeys with their characters. Yeah. So is there a kind of standout book that's popular at the second grade level this year? Well, we've read My Father's Dragon this year. So okay. it was a recommendation from a teammate. Okay. And so we read the first one and then there's two more in the series. And so oh, they just cool. want to like they're devour devouring that one. Yeah. Um, a lot of like bad guys and notebook of doom owl mm -hmm. diaries yeah. but they just they love books that's so, cool yeah that's cool now are you reading that book to them or are they reading on their my own father's, a mix my father's dragon i've been reading yes. but most of my kids have been getting into chapter books in the last couple of months like oh, wow. the majority of my classes in chapter books now so it's a lot of fun to watch them and they'll finish a book and pass it on to a friend and give a recommendation oh, cool. so it's been a lot of fun to really see that like evolution of reading yeah watching them come in as you know little first graders and yes. now getting ready to leave as third graders so right those 10 i've got to watch i've gotten to watch grow for two years as that's really these readers cool. and that's so really cool fun. yeah all right. Well, let's go back to the, the regularly scan scheduled uh, <laughs> beginning, which is just tell us how you got into teaching. What was that like? Um, well, I don't know a time when I didn't want to be a teacher. Like really? I kind of always wanted, I've always loved kids. So I've okay. always wanted a job that had to do with kids. So growing up, I wanted to be a pediatrician. Okay. Um, and then when I was 11, my grandpa got really sick. And so mm. I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. And I was just set that I was going to cure cancer yeah. and kids were no longer going to have cancer. Yeah. My dad gave me the realization that that's not how it works in life. <laughs> so then I decided I wanted to be a pediatric NICU nurse. Mm -hmm. um, and again, he gave me the realization that I'm not going to help everyone. So yeah. then I decided I want to be a teacher because I can really help kids that way. <laughs> and they're healthy and 
Yeah. You know, they move on to the next year. Yeah. So um, starting, I mean, I had an amazing third grade teacher. Mrs. Tiernan was, I can tell you so much about third grade. I loved that year. Wow. And so it's kind of always been there that I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. And then in high school. And where um, did you grow up? Where was this third grade experience at? I grew up in Reno Valley, so okay. Riverside County. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was just phenomenal. And so yeah. it kind of was always there. And then I was like, oh, I'll do that with kids as, as being a doctor. And yeah. I came back to it in high school. I got a job as um, a swim instructor. So I taught okay. swim lessons for five or six years. Nice. And I just loved teaching kids how to do things and yeah. watching that like oh I finally get this like yeah. come on and so after high school I um, applied to Cal State Fullerton and I got into their accelerated program so I did mm. all of it in four years and went straight into teaching and wow. I love it like wow. it is I wouldn't do anything else this that's is awesome my lifetime passion and so. where did you start teaching um, I started in Moreno Valley and I spent four years in Moreno Valley and that was during the time where budgets were unsure. Yes. So I did the like yes. back and forth every year. Do I have yes. a job? Don't yes. I? Um, and then eight years ago, uh, I moved here to Fullerton. So okay. I lived in Fullerton, but I was commuting out there. Um, and eight years ago, I got a job at Acacia oh. and I've been there ever since. Wow. So and I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, it sounds like you had a, a really good experience. Um, and so thinking back about first year is there anything you learned in that first year or two that you think you would give as advice to somebody who's pretty new like first year don't try and take it all on at once <laughs> like okay. pick something to focus on I yeah. remember being the first year teacher with lots of uh, veteran teachers and just going I have to do everything they do yeah. and the realization that I can't I couldn't be good at all of those things because I just didn't have the years of experience right to inform all my decisions and all of those things. So pick something that you really want to get, do well. Yeah. So those first couple of years, I really focused on small group reading. Oh, okay. Reading was my passion anyways, yeah, like yeah. teaching reading. And so I really focused on small groups and reading and just being really strong in that. Yeah. And then the next year I added something else and something else. But it's, That's great. it's kind of focus on one small thing at a yeah. time. And over years, yeah. you'll get there. So that was, I was going to go right to, do you have an example of what you would focus on? <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. The passion for reading. Do you think, let's say there's somebody who's a little overwhelmed and they're a little like, I'm not sure what my passion is kind of a, from a more mentor perspective, if they don't have a passion then, uh, or they're not clear, where would you say, Hey, focus on this? Like what makes the biggest difference maybe for a first year teacher, um, to get more, put more attention, more focus and work on management. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I feel like once you have, I don't want to say control, once your yeah, kids yeah. have routines and they know what to do, yeah. your day flows more smoothly. Mm. Like if they know that after this, we do this. So structure in yeah, your day is yeah. huge. Have a predictable schedule, especially, I mean, I'm sure for the older kids, it's important as well, but for the little ones, yeah. like having that predictability, my kids know every morning they walk in, they get this cause we're doing this like yeah. predictability and just having systems in place for um, following the rules and what happens when you don't follow the rules and yeah. how they work together as a community, really building community in your class that mm. they're reliant upon one another. That yeah. I always tell my kids, there's one of me and 31 of you. <laughs> like I'm outnumbered. So you guys have to help me. We have to work together. So I think the biggest one is management at the yeah. beginning. Cause once you have management, yeah. it makes like sitting and focusing on a reading group or a math group so much easier because your kids yeah. all know what to do. I can imagine the buy-in for a second grader. Oh, the teacher needs my help yeah. <laughs> so much more. Um, I was a ninth grade teacher in the beginning and 
Yeah, when you're saying, please help me, I need your help, they're less, uh, they're like, really? <laughs> they want to eat you. They're like, he's vulnerable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, you were there, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, do you have a system, you managed, they, uh, mentioned the importance of having systems in place. Is there something you think uh, you remember particularly important, like not having uh, con- uh, it in hand at the beginning and then once you got that system in place, it made a big difference? What was that? I think like behavior checks and balances. Like in mm-hmm. the beginning, it was like, hey, please stop that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. You know, like you're putting out small <laughs> yeah, fires like, all day, which, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the shushing. <laughs> the shushing. And I, I feel like I still probably put out small fires all day because sure. just because they're age group. But just knowing that, like, you know, we've had when something mm-hmm. happens, I don't call attention to the whole class. Go over and mm-hmm. talk to that one child. You made a poor choice. I'd like you to make a better choice. What are yeah. ways you can make a better choice? Because oftentimes they just don't know. Yeah, I'm or, sure. Or they're trying to like make their friends laugh. And it's like, I understand that you're trying to make your friends laugh. And I think that's great that you want to be funny, but you're interrupting the whole class. Like you're not being respectful to your classmates. What are some other ways you could do that? You can do it outside of recess. So just kind of having those small conversations, which I didn't in the beginning. Just like, hey, please stop. Hey, please stop. And you're just constantly. So once I figured out, talk to them. And Kids, yeah. kids respond well to the small yeah. conversations. Yeah. And, I mean, it's interesting just to connect that to my first year teaching high school. I mean, to have a private conversation in the hallway with a ninth grader, way different story than, mm-hmm. than calling somebody else in the middle of, cra- uh, of class. Yeah. I think they just respect the fact that you're, A, not embarrassing them. Yeah. And that you took the time to acknowledge, like, I get what you're doing, but, yeah. like, yeah. And cluing them them in on the decision making. I'm not just gonna tell you what to do, but right. you get you yes. need to learn how to make those decisions so they don't happen in the yeah. future. And as a first so year true. teacher, I think I was just so overwhelmed. I was like, I'm just gonna tell you what to do. <laughs> you don't get to make decisions in yeah. this case. So that was yeah. different, I think, yeah. growing. Yeah. And then still having consequences. Yeah. If you continue to make those bad choices, you owe me a dollar. Like yeah. it's just the like Yeah. Yeah, you can't just keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. Um, I think that's so powerful, and it's so. It's almost counterintuitive. The more freedom you have, them participate mm-hmm. in the uh, those decision making. It's almost like the less you do, and the more you put on them, the more they step up. They do. Yeah, they really do. I. I yeah. mean, both behaviorally and academically, the more you expect of them, yeah. the more they will give you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have. Um, Anything else you want to add about before we deviate from that about your beginning teaching? No, I mean, no. it was it was a road and it got me here. <laughs> you learn more every year. I mean, I started Emory Valley, then I moved here. And my couple years in, I got my national boards. And that was like a really oh, big deal yeah. for me because yeah. it was really turned me. It made me become more reflective of what mm. I do. Why am I doing this? How yeah. is this helping each kid? And then I participated in Coatsin as well. So then that kind of helped yeah. complete that reflective practice. And I think... More advice to a first-year teacher would be really stop and think about why you're doing things. Yeah. Even now, yeah. we had dinner with some friends last night, and they, she was like, well, what was the purpose of you doing that? And I was like, well, selfishly, it was because I wanted them to listen. <laughs> like, you still have to be reflective about why. Right. Even in your management, why you're doing things. Right. Absolutely. So, actually, one of the people we interviewed, we interviewed three people ahead of time. Tracy Anderson is a colleague of yours. She actually brought up the getting uh, – board certified. So um, I just wanted to read a quote from that and have you just comment. So um, she um, she says, you're an out-of-the-box thinker, enthusiastic teacher, a go-getter, a gifted leader who never settles uh, for just okay. 
And so she says she realized that shortly after meeting you in 2012, um, she said you earned your national boards just because, <laughs> which is funny because you talked about the benefit of it. But do you remember that moment where you thought about, you heard about it? How, how did you decide to do that? Our principal at the time sent out an email that just said, hey, this is an opportunity. Yeah. Um, if you want to do it, the Department of Education is offering it. And I think I had just fin- I had finished my master's like two years before, and my, my dad will tell you I should have just been a doctor because I continue to go back to school. <laughs> and so like about every 18 months to two years, I go back to school again. And okay. so it was kind of coming up on that time, and I was like, well, this sounds interesting. Like, let's yeah. learn more about it. And as I got into it, I really enjoyed the process of it wasn't about what you were teaching and how you were teaching. It was about what you were teaching and how you reflected on it to make changes for your kids, mm. for your students. So I enjoyed that process of really thinking about why did I make this decision? What would I do differently yeah. next time? How would I structure it differently depending on the kids that were in my class? And so it really just made me aware. So I was still at that point maybe a five, six-year teacher. This is my sixth year teaching. So so I had still had a lot. I still have a lot to learn now, but I had a lot to learn at that point. And it right. was really just made me yeah. think about the things I was doing. Yeah. And how long was that process? Was um, that- one year. Okay. And I procrastinated to the last three months. <laughs> you didn't have to tell us that. <laughs> this, this is my personality. I'm like the major procrastinator. But you have a year to complete it. Yeah. Um, they've changed the rules. Now you have a little bit longer to do it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was doing videotaping along the way. And then you have some papers to write. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other things um, that Tracy shares is that you're always pushing yourself to be a better teacher. So you, you have, you mentioned Coates and it may be just for the, the, um, the good of the audience, just tell a little bit about if they're not familiar, what it is and then what it's meant to you. So Coatsen is a mentoring, um, foundation. So Lloyd Coatsen, the founder of Neutrogena, um, always appreciated what his teachers gave to him. He mm-hmm. called them the true magi- magicians, like his mm. teachers gave to him. And so when he sold Neutrogena and had lots of money, he wanted to give back, but he wanted to give back in a specific way. So he gave back to teachers mm. um, through this coaching cycle. So when we did Coats In, there were six of us, I think, and we had a mentor. And so our mentor would come into our room. We picked a focus area. So mm-hmm. my focus was reading and writing. And she would come into our room and she would go through lessons with us. And we'd sit and plan with her and we'd think deeply about our kids and we were really reflecting on our practice and changing yeah. our practice. And my practice changed a lot in those couple of years. Um, and I think really it just helped me to be, think about what I do, why I do it, yeah. and what's best for kids. Yeah. So in in the kind of the structure of Coats and the structure of uh, the National Board's process, um, you've, you've been able to grow and reflect outside of those, like, to take Tracy's quote, you're always pushing yourself outside of those like processes that are kind of external. Um, where do you find that you engage in that kind of always growing or always learning? Like what's your go-to if you're wanting to grow in a certain area? You mentioned going back to school. So outside of that, (laughs) (laughs) that commitment. Um, oftentimes it's my colleagues. Like I, I love to go to them and get new ideas. Um, as often as my principal will let me go to Q, I'll go to Q to get new ideas. Um, reading professional reading. There's tons of books out there about reading Mm. workshop, writing workshop, math, just trying to 
get as much as I can. Um, Instagram. Mm -hmm. I am a faithful Instagram follower of a lot of teachers. And it's more just like, what are you doing? And why are you doing that? And how is that working for you? Can I use that with my own kids? Um, Twitter, social media is a big one for just learning what else is out there. Like we Mm -hmm. live in this small community that's a really tight community. And if I only lived here, it would... I wouldn't yeah. be reaching outside my walls. Yeah. And so really trying to see what other people around the country, around the world are doing. So I love that. that I love that. Um, so um, uh, there's another quote from uh, your principal. Actually, this is a one word we asked if one word you had to pick to stand in for, uh, Christine. Your principal, Liz Leon, said innovative. What, what does that mean to you? What, what does being innovative mean? Or what do you, why do you think she chose that? I'm not afraid to take something new on. I'm not really sure why she would have picked that. But I I would say I'm not afraid to try new things. Like, I'm not afraid to push my kids in new directions and say, I don't know how this is going to end up, but let's try it. Let's see what we can do. Um, Give me an example of that. I'm not a huge, like, paper pencil. Like, I want them to be doing and creating and showing. Um, So there's times where I get... I go, okay, guys, we're going to try this. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them we have to be flexible because we don't know what's going to happen in yeah. the whole process. And so we'll try a project on our iPads and halfway through something goes <laughs> awry and we got to go another way. But I'm always trying to get them to show their their thinking and their learning in different ways. And yeah. um, one of the things I told them when they were first graders is just because you're in first grade doesn't mean you can't do it. So when people say, oh, that's for the mm. big kids, that's not really true. You know, when people say you can't log into Google Drive, that's for the big kids. Right. That's not true. Get on slides and let's make a presentation. <laughs> like, come on, you can do it. It's going to take us a little longer. Like I have to plan right. more time for it, but they can. And I just think I want my kids to always be trying to learn new things and do new things. And mostly because I want them to go into life with that I can do anything attitude. Like yeah. nobody can tell me no. Yeah. It might be challenging, yeah. but I can do it and I can try. Yeah. So. I love that, that mindset. That's so good. Um, she talks, uh, your principal also talks about, um, you being a team player. Um, and what does that mean? Like team player? I, um, I love working with a team. I am not an individual teacher. Okay. <laughs> like it's just not my personality. Um, the people will tell you when I'm avoiding work, I like flit around and talk to everybody, but I'm very much, I don't close my doors and work in my own room. I mm. want to work with a team, plan with a team. So like our second grade team sits down every week and we plan together. We talk through what our kids mm, challenges cool. are, what works really well for them. Yeah. And it varies by classroom. So we try to like work our plans around what works for our kids, what doesn't. Yeah. Um, and then I always feel like, Four, in our case, four. Four brains are better than one. Like, mm. I have some ideas, but that doesn't mean they're the best ideas right. or the only ideas. So I want to sit down and pick other people's brains and learn more. I want, yeah. I want my kids to have the experience of more than just my brain. I want yeah. them to have the experience of lots of collective mm. brains together. That's cool. I haven't heard it said that way about what you want for your students. Uh, you know, a lot of times I've heard the general wisdom is, you know, we're better together. Yeah. But thinking about like, I owe it to my students to find the best yeah. options. Because yeah. we all come from a different background, different teaching backgrounds, different mm. numbers of years of teaching, different technology experiences. And I know like I have ideas, but I know that all of my teammates do as well. And when we pull them together and sometimes they come back and I'm like, that's going to be really challenging, but yeah. let's try it. Like, let's, yeah. let's take it on. Let's break it down and let's take it on. So, and I, I like to talk, so I like to be <laughs> part of a team. <laughs> I'm just not an individual teacher in my own room. 
That's great. Uh, we, we actually have a, um, a quote from your dad. This is a, a story. One of the questions was a representative moment or a moment that's symbolic of who you are. And this was um, a few years ago. You had a young student uh, in your classroom diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. uh, who was unable to, to attend school due to the treatments. Um, and you volunteered to do uh, the home hospital mm -hmm. teach of the student at home. Tell me, tell me about that, and why do you think your dad remembers that? Um, well, because I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the day his mom emailed me to say he had been diagnosed, and he was one of my kids in first grade who was really struggling. School mm. was really hard for him. The reading pieces hadn't come together. The writing, it's like he was really having a hard time. Mm. And so I was already concerned for him. And then she emailed me to say that he um, was having like heart palpitations. So they took mm. him to the ER and they did a blood draw and knew instantly mm. that he had leukemia. Oh, my gosh. And I sat on my couch and cried for 45 minutes. And then I called my dad and cried for another 30 minutes because my heart just broke for him. So mm. I already had a heart for people who had cancer because mm -hmm. it's affected my family in so many ways. Mm -hmm. My grandpa and my aunt both died from cancer. So it was something that touches me anyways. And then to see this sweet little boy mm. who I knew the road ahead of him was going to be very difficult. Um, it was hard, but I was blessed with the opportunity to be able to be his home hospital teacher. Mm. Um, they asked in, in two seconds. I said, absolutely. Like, I wouldn't want him to be with anybody else. <laughs> he was already very shy and reserved, and it took him mm. probably until Christmas to open up to me. And this wow. happened in March. So it took him a long time to yeah. open up anyways. And I just couldn't imagine a stranger walking into his right. house to teach him. Yeah. Um, so I did that for two years, the rest of his first grade wow. year and well, a year and a half, the rest of his first grade year and all of his second grade year. Yeah. Um, I created an amazing bond with his family. I, mm. He's in sixth grade now getting Aww. ready to leave our school. And I, I watched oh him gosh. go off to camp to, on Tuesday and I like cried a little cause he's come so far. So by the time home hospital was over, he was yeah. reading and devouring wow. books. Like, I really think it was a blessing for him. He needed that one-on-one -on -one time yeah. that he probably would have never gotten. Um, and it really, it it made him a stronger person. Yeah. It made him more outgoing. Like wow. he grew as a person. So to watch him go through mm. elementary school, knowing, you know, for years after he was still going through treatments, even once he came back to school and yeah. celebrating with him when it was all over. Wow. Um, so it's been really cool to watch him yeah. grow. I had his younger brother. So oh, I knew wow. his younger brother before he started school. And then I had him in my first grade class. So that family has a special place in my heart. But really to be able to be given the opportunity to watch him grow and help him through probably one of the most difficult times of his life and see how it mm. changed him. Yeah. And I always tell his mom, um, I think David taught me more than I ever taught him. Like mm. I learned that there's lots of big things in life. School is a big thing, but that our health is big and our families yeah. are big and our happiness are, is big. Yeah. And to be able to appreciate all the things that we have in life. Like yeah. he, he taught me a lot about life. You, we always think we're teachers. We right. give the knowledge, yeah. but he taught me a lot. And he's one of those kids, you know, those kids that will ever forever have a spot yeah. in your heart. He is one yeah. of them. That's so amazing. Um, uh, we're we're getting close to we touched on all of the the interviews and I I do I do want to just mention this and that is um, hockey <laughs> <laughs> that's something that your your dad uh, do you want to tell us about um, being quote the definition of fanatic when it comes to the Ducks? I am a huge Ducks fan. Why, why is that? So I grew up playing soccer, and in 1993, when the Ducks became a team, my dad took us to a few games. Like, we had a great time. We yeah. thought it was the best thing ever. 
Um, and then when we were growing up, we had like a 10 games, like mini plan. Okay. So my brother and I would like rock, paper, scissors for who got what games. I took the game with the fights. He took the games where like <laughs> they could skate really well. Now it's the opposite. We don't do that. Um, but my dad and I have half season tickets now and I love, really? love the ducks. And so yeah. you'll, if you walk into my room, there's duck stuff around. Yeah. My kids know when the ducks play. That's They'll so come funny. in and say, Miss Spencer, I know the ducks won last night. Or <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Spencer, that I'm they sorry. lost. <laughs> like, they just know. And I, I feel like my duty as teachers to help kids love the sport of hockey <laughs> as well. Like it's a lot of fun. The kids enjoy it. So can you pinpoint one thing about hockey that drew you in? Like what, what, what is it that you think first made the connection for you, or the fascination? Uh, it was a lot like soccer. That's how my dad explained it when okay. we went. It's like soccer, but they wear skates. There's less people. They don't have a ball. They have a puck, and they can touch it. Like, <laughs> But it it worked in a similar way. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, as when I was younger and as I've gotten older, like learning, I love rules. So okay. like learning the rules and being mm. able to know like what was happening all yeah. the time. Um, and just watching like the skating and the technique is, mm. I could barely ice skate. So watching them like up and down the ice and yeah. it's amazing to me. So, so if you had to draw some sort of corollary between hockey and what you'd love about it in the classroom, like if hockey was some sort of metaphor for teaching and learning, what, what connections could you make? Well, so as a longtime fan watching like baby players like the baby new players. the rookies <laughs> yeah. grow into the veterans so watching yeah. my kids grow from these like yeah. little kids yeah. into like big kids yeah. um and i think just watching them work as a team like mm. you, it's not an individual sport if they don't work as a team it doesn't work and yeah. i tell my kids the same thing like when oh, we're doing things good. we got to work together if we don't do that it doesn't it doesn't yeah. work our classroom will be very um, fragmented and we have arguments but if we work together yeah we can get things done if they work together they score goals uh, that's great yeah. i love that well that's where we're going to wrap it up i thank you so much thank you for coming and sharing um uh, everything that you shared and um go ducks go ducks <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you. This has been the Teacher Interview Podcast. Thank you for joining us.